As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I dive into how Joel Embiid has completely flipped the complexion of this series. We talk about how Joel Embiid has lost the MVP race to Jokic, why what he was able to do here in these two games against Miami is far more important than that. We go over James Harden's monster fourth quarter in game four against the Heat and what we expect from the series going forward. A whole lot to get into in this podcast, so let's get right to it. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on a Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I am doing fine. I am about to hop on another flight. That's not great. I, you know, the traveling is a little much, but a two-two series, and yeah. Joel Embiid is—he officially didn't win the MVP. Now, yep, pretty valuable though. He's pretty pretty valuable. valuable. Yeah, I, I guess we can we can get into that. Um, we did, uh, you know, it's, it's so funny. We had another podcast, which you all will never listen to, um, this for an entirely different reason, not because of news, because of, we'll call it technical problems where it was much more negative, much more negative. And now we're sitting here two, two series going back to Miami. Sixers have had complete control the last two games. Now, best of three series. Two of them in Miami, but it's not exactly the strongest home court advantage in the league. And no, almost- no, we said that we said that on the last pod. That home court stinks. Yes, it, it stinks, and it stinks that the Sixers did not have Embiid because if They'd it be actually yeah. if it actually is a game down there, which you would hope it would be in you know Game Five and or Game Seven if it's uh if it's necessary. I, I'm not expecting a raucous crowd like. James Harden, when the when the roof was being blown off and 19,999 people were awake and going crazy, <laughs> that doesn't happen in Miami. It's no. not just the one guy sleeping. It's <laughs> it's people in the bathroom. Yeah. Like I, the, There's like clubs in the arena. There's clubs down the street. Okay, well, that's what they're uh, they're facing now. They, they, they actually have a chance yeah. on the court, and I think that'll help. That that bad crowd cannot take over a game like the Philly crowd can, honestly. And almost the entire difference between the vibes in the podcast you will never hear and the vibes in this one, not 100%, but in large part because of Joel Hans Embiid, who, as you mentioned, officially is not the league's MVP, despite some reports suggesting otherwise. The award is going to Jokic for the second consecutive year, and we can get into that. I think we've largely both sort of stayed on the sidelines of that MVP conversation but what he showed you over these last two games is that he is an MVP caliber player. And that has always been outside of, you know, maybe some, you would like to see Joel Embiid get rewarded for his growth as a player, as a person, as a leader. Playing at an MVP level and having that building block on your team has always been the most important thing in my mind. And when you see this team, they couldn't do anything right the first two games. They couldn't defend their man in man-to-man defense in the half court. When they went to zone, I think you and I had a better chance of grabbing a rebound than George Niang. 
<laughs> they couldn't, outside of James Harden, they couldn't really create a shot in the half court to save their life. They really didn't force turnovers and get out in transition. They struggled to handle Miami's pressure defense on the perimeter in game one. They Harden, Harden would run out of gas at the end of those games. Completely out of gas. They didn't have anything to fall back on. Not a single thing. And all of a sudden, Joel Embiid steps on the court and they handle the best team, or at least the best team with the best record in the East, for two consecutive games pretty handily. And you had a little bit of doubt there maybe at the start of the fourth quarter, or at least starting the fourth quarter, because once they actually started the fourth quarter, they erased that doubt pretty quickly. But they controlled that game. And Harden was fantastic. Like, just truly fantastic. His shot making in the fourth quarter. You mentioned it before the game, and it was right on. You said he could be wide open, or he could be shooting a heavily contested three over Bam Adebayo, and he has a 35% chance of making both shots. And it's truly stunning, because it's absolutely true. Like, the shots that he was making over Oladipo and Adebayo in the fourth quarter, those step-back threes, there aren't five people in the world who can make those shots. No. And he, I think, what, he had 16 points in the fourth quarter, had a 13 spot in the second quarter, finished with 31 on the game, his second 30-point performance with the Sixers. But it all goes back to Joel Embiid and the way that he is able to take this team of really misfit parts and cover up so many holes and make them competitive in so many areas they otherwise would not be to give them a chance to compete against anyone in the league. And we saw that play out in the last two games. And I know a lot of people listening to this are going to be upset and hurt and frustrated about the MVP vote. But you have a guy who makes you relevant in the grander scheme of things. And that, to me, is what you've got to bank on. And unlike Kokic, you got a guy who's playing basketball right now. Yep. And potentially... Adding to his uh, adding to his legend here, yeah, I would say a couple things. I think Embiid, despite the fact that Harden went crazy at the end of last night's game, crazy, crazy. Uh, those like those threes he made were just insane, insane. I do think Embiid is obviously the story, and yeah, you're so right. It's just not only is he one of like the three or four most valuable players in the league, bar none, but to go from DeAndre Jordan to him, who's one of the three or four probably least valuable players in the league, it's as big of an upgrade as you can get. And when you have DeAndre Jordan with this kind of island island of misfit toys, yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. And then you have Embiid for thirty six minutes and B Ball Paul for ten minutes. Then it's fine. Then okay, you know you're you're not the deepest team in the world, but you can work with that. Yeah. And you know the Sixers are. I mean, they're six and two in the playoffs with that formula right now with some really nice wins overall. And yeah, I, I would just say too to to start his performance on Friday in particular, just coming back from that, that's like I don't want to overdo it. That's heroic shit, man. That is legendary shit. Concussion, fucking broken face, torn thumb, and whatever normal ailments he goes through over the course of an eighty two game season, coming back. And like you just saw him change the game in so many ways defensively. And that possession against, was it Oladipo that he shut down last yeah, night? Yeah, it was in, in game four. Yep. Just incredible. Oladipo. Just absolutely absurd display of intensity and athleticism for a seven foot two. We'll call him 280. He's probably north of that human being. That should not be possible. It just like. You're not talking about a seven foot Giannis moving like that. You're talking about seven to 280 plus pounds. Just incredible. And look, I think his defense in a regular season has fallen off a little bit over the last couple of years. Uh, we've said this a lot. Still better than Jokic, but we're not going to get into that debate. Far better than Jokic. But when he dials it up, there are few who can impact the game. The way, Almost none who can impact the game the way that's he does it, defensively. That's when it gets way better than Jokic. Yeah, he, he just has that gear it was uh yeah that, that was awesome the old depot possession because after it's over too I, I think it was just out of bounds on joel after yeah. it was over but you know he's like pumping up the crowd and it was he didn't even shoot that well no. in these games have big scoring nights now some of that i'm sure is it's harder to see for him like yeah. it's harder his he, his he, perimeter shots look off he didn't yeah and his free throw shooting was off his he hadn't picked up a basketball for a week. It's very I like how we say his free throw shooting is off and he shot nine for 13, but he had a couple of them that were very much non-Joel-like. Yeah. 
It was it was nine to fourteen, but the Heat gave him a a, a lane violation, so that's so he got true. one back. Yeah, you're right though. Yeah, that's it's nice when you're like, man, he's not making free throws, and it's like seventy percent. Yeah. Yeah, he. It, but it was an example of, and some of it I, I think also is just that the Heat are selling out to stop him in a way that, you know, it's like it's superstar shit. They're playing superstar defense yeah. against him, where they're they're super physical and they're denying him the basketball. And some of the reason that Harden, you know, has the big game. And, and here's like here's another example. Maybe the biggest bucket of the game. They're they're denying him like crazy. Jimmy is gambling for the steal. And Maxi throws it over the top for to to, to uh, Tobias for the easy dunk. That's all Joel. And it's, you know, it's kind of like his first couple years where, yeah, his offensive game was not as polished as it is now, where it's face-up jumper in your face, face-up jumper in your face, drive to the rim, all of that crazy stuff. Probably a step back three with two seconds left on the shot clock. All of that crazy stuff. That's not here right now, but it's just the fact that he is on the court and he's X percent of what he is. His presence just completely changes the entire series with the defense and on offense. And that that's what has happened over these last couple of games. And it's for him to do that with how busted he is right now, with how messed up his face yep. is coming off the concussion. You can still see like, do you notice like he, he the lights still seem to bother him a little bit too, which understandable. I hope, hope he continues to get better as this, this goes just awesome, like adds to the legend of uh, of this guy. Yeah, and he really is, you know, for a player who, to this point in his career, and still true, has never gotten out of the second round, this playoff run, if they can advance past Miami Heat, you've got the shot in Toronto, you've got these two games here, and coming back from, I mean, really, like, when you're down 0-2, like, you're on the brink. You're one loss away from basically just playing out the string of the season. To come back from all of those ailments, and win those two games convincingly, if they can pull off the rest of the series, those two factors will start to build a playoff legacy. And as much as an MVP would obviously add to his legacy, a run to the conference finals with these circumstances, with some of these details, would certainly be huge for his his career. And I still think this is a team that is very flawed, and we sort of went through a lot of those there to start the podcast. And for him yeah. to... I mean. Miami had the, they've won 53 games. They're outside of Lowry, which is a pretty big outside of, relatively healthy and very deep. And to come back, it has been, I mean, the, the this podcast has a very different tone than the one after game two. Just it's, and it's largely because of Joel Embiid. It's just incredible. Well, and after that game two, we largely said, hey, you know, they need Joel Embiid back. That's the first part, but they also need to make some shots. And, Luckily for the Sixers, the three-point shooting variant swung in their direction hard over the last couple games. And you know what? You take it. That's fine. You know, it was was the opposite in Miami, and you you don't apologize. I do think the way Embiid, Doc, and Harden talked after the game, like, hey, we got to play a better game in Miami because, you know, some of those shots are going to fall. Some of these possessions were, uh, were not great down the stretch. I think that's the right way to look at it. You know, if you can... Take the win you got where I agree with you. They did control most of the game, but late, you know, Harden bailed them out a little bit with some of these step backs. You know, if you can take the lesson of, okay, let's treat this like a loss and and adjust probably even a little bit more, then then they have a chance. And to your point on Harden, the, the two that really stood out to me, they led my piece today on The Athletic. The step back over Adebayo, Doc, before the game, Got asked point blank about that. Like, hey, when he gets Adebayo switched onto him, which of course happens all the time because Miami is switching the Embiid Harden pick and roll, you want him to get off the ball, right? And Doc was like, he didn't say, yeah, we want him to get off the ball. He was like, it's the matchup we've had too many times. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he said, yeah, we want him to get off the ball. But Miami on these well defended possessions, he really had nowhere to go with it on these possessions. So he had to make a move against Adebayo. The step back he hit on the first one is just that's a really hard shot. Adebayo defends it pretty well. And then a couple of possessions later, Adebayo is ready for that step back. He's probably overplaying it a little more. And Harden, this is where his genius just comes into play. He gives the slightest hesitation dribble. And Adebayo lunges forward 
And Harden, who can't get by out of bio in a normal circumstance, that's enough for him to throw the ball ahead, use the the uh, rim as protection, and put a bunch of English on a ball on a reverse layup where he makes uh, one of his two shots from inside the arc. Simple it- floater, 20% chance of going in, but underneath the rim with a reverse layup and a ton of English, ball's going right in. Yeah. Weird player. He is a weird player. And it was... Look, that was awesome. I mean, they, you know, the crowd was just going absolutely berserk on some of these hardened shots. And you got, you know, you got Maxi going crazy in, in game three. It was cool. I mean, I, I feel like James Harden has had a lot of negative attention his way just because of he's not the MVP guy anymore. Yep. And, you know, I think you're seeing, I, I said this after game two, he needs Joel Embiid. And, and as much as I do think him not being the MVP guy factors into his next contract and the future and all of those things. If you're just judging the trade for this year, those first two games are not fair. He needs Joel Embiid to to be judged on. Like, he wasn't paired or he wasn't traded for to win with DeAndre Jordan and George Niang in Miami. He just, he wasn't. He was supposed to be paired with Joel Embiid. How far can you take this? And we'll see. I mean... This would be an epic series win if they can get two more. It just epic because you you punted the first two games. You just gave it to them. So to bring Embiid back and have almost no margin for error is that's something. And like look, the the first part is you, you got to win the two games at home, and and they did that. So yep. yeah, and it, it's funny we're sitting here talking about a vintage James Harden performance and him turning back the clock and. To be clear, they needed that last night. Like, they needed him to steady the ship. Because you're right, they didn't run a ton of great offense there in the fourth quarter. Uh, If he doesn't make some really tough shots, we could be having a a different conversation here. But overall in this series, even when Embiid hasn't been there, they've looked like so much better of an offensive club when James Harden has been on the floor, even when he's not scoring a ton, even when he's not taking his man off the dribble. I looked it up earlier today and I don't have it in front of me, but I think they're averaging like 112 points per 100 and shooting 48% from the floor when Harden's on the court uh, and like 91 points per 100 when Harden's been on the bench. And you see every bit of that when Harden comes off and they go zone and the Sixers can't make an entry pass (laughs) to save their fucking lives. They need his steadying hand. And at times they will need him to dial it up and score like he did in the fourth quarter of game four. But even if he can't do that as much as you would like, even as he can't do that clearly as much as he used to, what else he provides is still valuable. And we can debate whether or not it's $50 million for five years valuable. It's not. And by the way, we will debate that when the series or when their playoff run is ultimately over, but it's still valuable. And they're a much better team because he's on it. They're a much better team pairing him and Embiid. And he gives them a better chance than they had at any point uh, before the trade, for sure. There's a difference between $50 million and he's washed. He's right. cooked. Right. Yeah. That's all. Yep. 100%. Uh, so far on the series, Harden is, a- is averaging 21-7-7 on a 60% true shooting. And sort of like the way that you brought up with George after, or on Danny Green after game three, when it's like, hey, over his last two games, he's shooting eight for 17 from three, <laughs> and it's not strange at all how he got there. Harden's a little bit like that. The way he gets that 60% true shooting can sometimes be unique, we'll call it. But at the end of the day, he has been a huge positive, for sure. Free throws are important, folks. They are. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> Speak. By the way, speaking of Danny Green, one of the most shocking things in the world when the the crowd chants Danny yeah. after he gets he gets fouled on the transition Danny Green three-pointer. It's funny. He's already got the Danny Green cut named after him, but the irrational confidence, uh, I can barely dribble pull-up pull three-pointer, that's yeah. that's the Danny Green three. <laughs> yep. Even though the Danny Green three is a catch and three uh, shoot three in the corner, too. He's got a bunch of very <laughs> yep. specific actions that I think you can name after him. But and the it crowd really starts- does feel like, like people... Good shooters on four-point plays, I feel like their free throw percentage drops by at least oh. 30% after they've made a three. At least. I agree with that. But I also would like to think that Danny Green was just stunned that people were chanting his name. <laughs> yeah. yep. Because because he gets the cub treatment where 
he misses two in a row and he's wide open on the next one. The crowd's grumbling when he shoots it. You know, it's and, and if he misses it, he gets like the soft boo treatment where, you know, the crowd knows that it's an okay shot, but you know, come on, man, put the ball in the basket. So for him to get a Danny treat uh, a chant was amazing. And yep. yeah, it just goes to show that's the good thing about Danny Green, right? He's um I forget, like, what do they say about cornerbacks in, in football? Like, they need yep. a short memory. Yep. Shooters Danny Green's got yep. Danny Green's got the shortest memory in the world. He shoots one of nine in, in Miami. He doesn't give a shit. Like he said, he's going to go watch some Ozark, and he's going to go fire some shots the next game. So, he, uh, yeah, great performances from him, obviously. And it's, you know, it, uh, you know, the Sixers made some shots. As, as it turns out, that's important. It is. Shot 16 for 33 from a three-point range. A lot of that coming from Harden, who was 6 for 10, and Green, who was 3 for 4. But contributions, I mean, Maxi made a couple, George made a couple, even Matisse, who's, I guess, done a little bit more the last two games, but still not enough, uh, made a 3. So a pretty good performance all around. The Heat, on the other hand, shot 7 for 35. Flipping the roles of Game 2 when the Sixers couldn't buy a bucket, and Miami finally did. So, like you said, you could have the exact same performance in Game 5. Miami could make 40% of their threes instead of 20, and we could be having a different conversation. Sixers probably need to execute a little more or a little better offensively, especially than they did down the stretch, but shot-making can overcome a lot, and that happens or that happened last night. I'm looking at their... Wow, they shot 66% on twos yeah. Miami. Yep. And, you know, it's... You can always talk about after a playoff game. I feel like any fan base, any analyst can spin it. Oh, if they only did this. Oh, if X player plays his normal game. If if Y player doesn't make three threes or whatever. Uh, so, so there's always something you can point to. And we did that after game two. Like in game two, if the Sixers made threes, that's a close game. I'm not sure they win. But Miami shot the ball really well. And they got good looks. And they just didn't make the same shots they... Uh, they missed in Philly for Miami's standpoint though. It's, it's hilarious because Jimmy Butler did not look too good in Miami and he played two of the best playoff games I've ever seen him play. And he's had some really good ones. This is not a, uh, you know, for somebody who Jimmy Butler is, I don't know. What do you think? Like the 14th best player in the NBA. And he's kind of, he's kind of been around that range for a long ass time. now. I don't think he's ever really gotten too far above that. For a guy of that caliber, he's got a lot of excellent playoff performances, some of them in a Philadelphia 76ers uniform as well. He was awesome, man. He was so good. And, you know, can he keep that up? Can he continue? I mean, he made two threes. He uh, he made some amazing kind of post moves on Embiid. Yep. Embiid's defense was a little bit up and down, Yep, I would say, where in the second half, he just he got beat a few times by, by Butler. I will say those they were very impressive shots where he's like he's like stepping through on them and, and drawing contact. So Jimmy got away with one walk, but for the Sixers to survive that Jimmy Butler performance in some ways is, is very impressive. They're gonna have to clean it up because I'm pretty sure he can't score forty points again and they they'll win. But I mean Jimmy was you know, I was in awe of that. Like he kept them in the game in the third quarter and the Sixers didn't blink. And that's another element of this too. I think a lot of people thought, Oh, you know, the Sixers are the team that blows leads. They're the team that doesn't have composure and things got a little bit hairy in the fourth quarter. You know, some of those possessions weren't great and some of it was hard and making shots at the end of the shot clock, but they didn't blink. You know, they didn't let Miami get too close. And that's, uh, I don't want to say that's growth, but that's just a, that's, it's a big time spot to not choke. I'll put it that way. No, I mean, look, a team as good as Miami, is going to make a run at some point. You're not going to just walk away with a 20-point win where it never gets scary. And I look at what happened, and yeah, I think there was pretty good growth there. I think that was a I, I, I think that's an encouraging performance. And look, there's a lot of variance that goes into that, like James Harden's shot-making, Miami missing you know, 80% of their threes. But I think what's encouraging to me is Miami didn't win sort of like the edges of the game they didn't win the they didn't dominate on the defensive or on the offensive glass they didn't dominate completely in a turnover department the Sixers kept it competitive in the areas they have to keep it competitive in uh, and is there variance in Harden and Miami's shooting yeah of course 
but they gave themselves a chance. And again, someone like Jimmy Butler is going to have a game or two in a series where he's just unstoppable. He's not going to make all of those shots, all of those moves. They're not all going to be successful every time out. Um, but the Sixers did enough to win both of these games here in Philadelphia and give themselves a chance going forward in Miami. It's it's a real... I, this has been a pretty encouraging... I mean, obviously, they won two straight uh, and got themselves back in the series. But the way they've gone about it, I think, has been pretty encouraging. They've won two pretty distinct games. Well, and here's the thing about, oh, you know, James Harden's not going to do that again. They might not need him to do it again. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. on one specific night, in one specific moment... Throw the schemes out. Throw the the analytics out. Can the guy just get you a bucket? And he did that repeatedly last night, which is part of the reason you got the guy. It's part of the reason he's not the James Harden of the past because I'm not sure he can do that. Every I, I, I shouldn't say I'm not sure. He definitely can't do that on a lot of nights where that step back three is it's a great shot. He can get it whenever he wants, but it's a fickle beast. It's a hard shot to make. You know, we said 35%. I think some of those step backs are probably low 30% shots for him, maybe high 20. But they they just needed him to step up in that spot. And yeah, I I think the next game is going to be about how they leverage and beat a little bit better. Like I think they did it pretty well early getting getting Embiid on seals, getting him deep post position. That's that's going to be important because Miami is is really fronting a lot and I think, as you correctly pointed out, Harden, although he had some turnovers on it, he's the guy you need on the court to throw that pass. You just, you just need him. He's just a, a he's the only guy who even tries them. First yeah. off, Tobias just, uh, it gets me every time. He sits there, like fakes a pass, Whoa. fakes a pass, hesitates, fakes a pass, and kicks it to the corner every time. And Tyrese, and by the way, is just I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to say a bad word about Maxi because that <laughs> that game three performance was special. I think he's doing an okay job defensively in these games, chasing around Max Struess for the most part as well. He is he's not a great floor vision type no. of point guard. He I think it's like you said last year or earlier this year that got people mad when you know, you would like him to take a few more risks and he just doesn't have that elite passing vision. He has the the simple reads, which is why that pass to Tobias at the end of the oh game. I know God. that I know that's an easy pass, seemingly. Like, that's a pass that Harden makes in his sleep. But for Maxi to see that, Tobias to see it, and Maxi put it right on the money for Tobias. Huge freaking play, man. Yep. So, yeah, but he's not a uh, he's not a great entry passer, and part of it is he's small. That's the other issue of it, too. That's what makes Harden pretty good, is that, you know, he's not he doesn't have the size of someone like Tobias who, who really doesn't have an excuse for it. That's that's going to be a big deal. I, I do think to win this series, they're probably going to need Joel to have, you know, a thirty or thirty-five pointer. I, I think there's going to be a game where it's like you, you got to find a way to leverage that. But like to your point, though, with the with the variance, part of the reason I think the three-point shooting got better on both sides is that the Sixers have Joel Embiid behind them on the defensive end, so that that changes how they can stick to shooters how they're allowed to play one-on-one against some of the Heat's best players. And on the other end, the Heat are selling out to stop Joel Embiid. So more open shots come. So it really does go to show, you know, as as good as Harden can play, Embiid is just, he's the most important guy on this team by a mile on both ends of the court. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, 
consummate craftsmanship and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Yeah, no, I agree. Especially game one, I didn't think their shot quality was all that great on the threes that they attempted. It's definitely gone up. Do I think it's a difference between like 20% and 50%? No, it's probably somewhere in the middle, but they are definitely creating better looks from the perimeter uh, than they previously were, for sure, for sure. All right, what do we want to pivot to? I feel like we've, we've spent a lot of time here talking about Embiid and Harden. What else really uh, drew your attention? Well, I mean, Maxi in game three, oh, down sure. the stretch of that was, sure. I mean, that was some amazing shot making. And yeah, I, I agree with you in that you, you said the stats, you know, it's about a 20 point difference from an offensive rating standpoint. Maxi and Tobias by themselves against this heat defense is a little tough. Like uh, offensively, they're not getting into great sets, but you know, Maxi finally to see him get cooking and, and make some of those completely deep threes. I, I think that's something you're you're gonna have to see in the rest of this series uh, as well. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else. Where, Maxi where is else? currently the Sixers' leading scorer at 23 per night for the series. Yeah, almost a quiet 18 points. Yeah, last yeah. night I don't really. Usually when he scores, it's pretty loud. Well, I would it's say. because like the Sixers, like Joel Embiid had 15 in the first quarter. Then James Harden had 13 in the second quarter. Then James Harden had 16 in the fourth quarter. It's like they all they had these quarters where one person just completely stole the show, and Maxi just kind of sprinkled in a couple points here and there. Mm-hmm. Think uh, in the two games, I, I think they got a little bit lucky on one player shots in particular. I think Tyler Hero had a couple looks yeah. where he got loose, and if some of these other guys get loose, you're like, all right, that's not good defense. Hero, it's a disaster if he gets loose. Like he's and he, and he just missed a couple of them. But I will say, with Embiid in the game, he's like the one guy they are generally selling out to get. So they're running him off the line. He's taking some of these tougher mid-range jumpers. So that's that's been good. Like the fact that they've been able to neutralize him. It, the reason why I picked Sixers and six before Embiid got hurt is I don't trust Miami's half-court offense, and Tyler Hero is a huge part of that. You know, if Jimmy is not even playing that well, he's a massive part of it. You know, yeah. you, I don't think you can expect the Jimmy of the last two games on most nights. So for them to, you know, to to stop him is is a big deal, and I know Matisse is playing a decent amount of minutes against him, and I, you know, I think it's the same story with Matisse, where, you know, defense is okay, but the offense is... Some of the the help schemes Miami can have against him or against Embiid with Matisse in the game is is fairly troubling. But they did a nice job on here the last couple nights. They did. I mean, Embiid's job against Adebayo in Game Three was like spectacular. The Adebayo had a better game offensively last night. Now some of those were Jimmy getting into the lane and and finding him and and Paul Reed getting destroyed by him. Yeah. But the story of this series in the first two games was Adebayo was just a man amongst boys down yep. low. Like, he was the best player on the floor. Sixers had no answer for him, whether it was DeAndre just getting lost in pick and roll or B-Ball Paul just not being able to rebound with the guy. For Embiid to come, he just completely changed it, where it's like, you're a pretty good player, but you, you were playing on easy mode, and now we're bumping up to all mad now. And may, maybe yep. you can... Maybe you can find a way to manufacture some points. I bet you Adebayo after that third game was like, all right, I'm going to be better next time. That was a little bit of a trip going from that to that, where even with Embiid not being healthy, it's like, yeah, he's just so much better. It's just so much more of a challenge. So that's that's a key thing to look for uh, moving forward. But yeah, I mean, I think their defense has been, they can guard this team for stretches in the half court for sure. Yeah, no, and I, I would like to see, I think they need to match Embiid's minutes out of bio a little more aggressively. Um, yeah. And Doc they was got sort away, of like they got away with it in the second half. They though. did, they did. That start of the fourth quarter uh, ended up working out. Miami really went cold from the field, but you know I think Doc was asked about it before the game, and he more took it like, "Are you worried about Joel defending small lineups?" When it's really more like Joel's the only one who can defend Adebayo, and you're not trying to avoid a matchup with Embiid. You're trying to avoid a mat a bad matchup against Adebayo. Um, so I'd like to see a little more of that. I think that was a little bit thrown askew by you know Adebayo picking up uh, some early foul trouble there in the third quarter. So he went to the bench pretty early, picked up his fourth foul, I think like two or three minutes into the second half. But I think they could probably try to match those minutes a little more. Um, and you brought this up. 
I don't know if you brought it up on the podcast. We just at the game, but like there's some lineups where like Matisse just shouldn't be out there. Like in game three specifically, he was out there and he was defending hobbled Kyle Lowry. And it's like, why it's compromise your matter. spacing for a guy to defend a guy who doesn't really want to score anyway? Um, if he's not defending Kyler Hero, I don't know what role he has in the series. Like, like play shake or play cork. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Especially. Yes, absolutely. And look, I'm not saying relegate Thibault to the bench completely because I think he can be useful on Hero, even though Hero is a pretty tough cover. But he's he's certainly their best getting through screens. But just don't overplay him by keeping him in there against, you know, Vincent or Lowry or anyone like that. I'm scarred by the spacing with Thibault. Those, <laughs> it's bad. Those, it's those bad. Are... And Miami is, especially on the weak side, they are so aggressive helping. They'll completely sell out to help off of Tobias Harris. Yeah. When they have Thibel there, it's just forget about it. Forget about it. So, you know, I think we've talked a decent amount about the Sixers. Now, Miami is kind of the team with the the injuries and the rotation question marks. It feels weird. It's usually yeah. the, the Sixers yeah. side where, yeah. where we're arguing about that stuff. And after these two games, they're feeling okay about what they're doing. You know, we're like, maybe you shouldn't play Thibel quite quite as much. That's a that's small potatoes compared to how we're usually arguing, and it's also small potatoes compared to two things. Are they going to play Lowry, and are they going to play Duncan Robinson because yeah. they can't shoot? Lowry, he just does not look himself at all. And I give him so much credit for, what did he end up with? 30, how many minutes he had last night? 30 minutes right on the dot. He just does not look like he can move. He doesn't want to shoot from the perimeter. His every step he takes seems laboring. Um, he fell down on it pretty good. Now it was off of a flop, but he still hit the ground. <laughs> he and that's a massive deal. And he's still out there, you know, his rotations defensively are good. The ball movement's good. But as a scorer and as one on one defender, he's just not the same. Uh, and that's a pretty massive concern for the Heat going forward. Um, I know they they won those games without him, but I think if they're gonna close out the series, losing him would be massive. And I do wonder, especially with the way they're struggling from the perimeter, if you could see um, Robinson dust it off. Been pretty much a DNP for the most part. I think he's got a couple garbage time minutes, but I wonder if they could, you know, dust him off. You saw, I think it was the beginning of the second or, or late in the first, the first B-ball Paul bam stretch. I thought it was a lot of Kyle Lowry, not really putting up big box score numbers, yep. but the impact he can have on winning. And I think the biggest thing he does is that guy is better at pushing the ball and getting cheap stuff in early transition without really being a fast player. You know, he he throws the hit ahead passes. He, he, you know, he still does have a decent amount of speed to get the ball up the court. And he got Bam going against Paul Reed in that, uh, in that early part. He He was very responsible for that. If the Heat don't have that, it's it's a big deal. But like you said, as a one-on-one scorer, you know you, you should not have Thibault on him because the Sixers no. have guys who can guard him right now, pretty much up and down the roster. And yeah, Robinson, that's a fascinating one to me, right? Because I, I think it's pretty clear why the Heat don't want to play sure. him because he hasn't had a great season. Harden's eyes defense, would light up if he was on the floor. And his defense is freaking horrible. So... You know, and they already have a guy in Hero that they're trying to not put Harden on. So, you know, you play those two guys, your, your shooting gets a lot better. But, you know, if those two guys are, if you're playing those two guys at the same time and you're playing this crazy fronting defense on Joel Embiid, like you, you can have the right schemes. You can have those two guys in the right place and Joel Embiid's still probably going to score right. on them. So it's, you know, they are in a somewhat similar position to the Sixers where some of their role players, some of their better role players are one-dimensional players, one-side-of-the-court players. And you have to play Tyler Hero because he's such a good offensive player. But it's it's like it's the issue with Thibault in reverse. It's the, you know, so I'll be very curious. I mean, it's it's a weird situation. What Duncan Robinson signed, what, a $90 million contract? Big contract. Big contract. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, the Heat Heat might be scared about signing those deals again just because they can they can find these guys off the street. They they're playing Max Struess right now. He's basically Duncan Robinson, a little bit worse shooting, a little bit better defense, but 
Yeah, it's a it's a weird spot for them to be in. I mean, Duncan Robinson in the in the bubble year in particular was just a complete revelation. Where, you know, he's making you know he's scoring twenty plus points in finals games, and you know the Lakers were having trouble guarding him. But I do think Duncan Robinson, if if you put him in the game, even if he's not making shots, his gravity is a huge deal, and it, and it could really help somebody like Jimmy, could help somebody like Oladipo if he drives. But you know. Like you said, Harden's eyes would light up. I don't. I don't think those step back jumpers would be quite as hard as the ones he hit no, out of bio. No, no they wouldn't. It, by the way, you can really see that. Like he had one against Vincent earlier in that fourth quarter. There, there are the differences. Like there's the 27 percent step back for Harden, and then there's like the 37, 38 percent step back for Harden. Those are the ones when he's got the bad defender, and you know he's shooting a step back, and he's just he's going through his legs like 50 times do, doing the yo-yo dribble. When he can really like just be like, you have no chance to affect this shot, then it becomes like, all right, that's it's closer to a 40% shot. And I do think Robinson would give him the ability to shoot that and also just go right by him to the rim. Sure. Uh, all right. So game uh, five here on Tuesday in Miami. You will be there. I am still um, trying to be a little bit cautious with the travel because I am. Over COVID, but still only about 11 or so days since I had it. So I'm being cautious, not sitting shoulder to shoulder in a sardine can for a couple hours next to people. Hopefully, <laughs> it's a wild game west seven, out there now, man. Uh, hopefully game seven, if it happens. I mean, if you're a Sixers fan listening to this, you're hoping, hoping it doesn't happen. But if it does, I will be down there for that one. What are you looking for here in, uh, you know, in game five to, because the Sixers, Sixers can claim this one. They really take control of the series. Yeah, I mean, I think the Sixers have to look at at how to continue to to leverage Embiid to get easier looks. You know, I think as that game wore on, I thought Miami started to have some better possessions. And look, the way the Sixers turned the ball over 16 times last night, yeah, too many, and a lot of them were trying to get the ball to Embiid. Like, I think that's the that's the risk reward if you can enter the ball to him down low and make that pass over the top that Harden hit a couple of times. All right, well, those are easy buckets. Those will get him in foul trouble. Those will get them in the penalty, all those good things. But there were other times where, you know, Sixers turn the ball over. And if you have a live ball turnover, Miami is not really capitalized on this quite as much, but that gives a chance for them to run and, and get their transition offense out. I also think, too, you know, a big part of this is the Sixers just holding up on the boards because Tyrese Maxey getting out in transition, that was some of his damage in last night's game. Like the Miami crashes, Butler, Tucker, Adebayo. All right, well, Tyrese Maxey against their guards is is not a fair fight. Like, he's going to score on those guys in transition. So, you know, there are some things the Sixers are definitely going to have to clean up. I think they – I don't know what they do against Butler. Like, what – first off, I think Tobias needs to try and guard him for as much time as yeah. possible. It's not like he's stopping him, but against, like, Danny, against uh, – I don't even know who else they put on. I mean, they put Joel on him for a little bit, and that's – I don't usually hate Joel guarding players like him if if you're just going to back off him from the three-point line. But it better be those two because yeah. they're the only ones that have a chance to slide with Jimmy down low. Uh, so that would be one thing I would say. What was the uh, – and then the other match – He's just so strong and so patient, and his pump fakes get everybody. It, it's really impressive to watch him score because he's not like the most naturally gifted scorer in the world. He's not going to – completely terrorize you coming downhill or off of a screen and there's not you know there's not Durant-esque shot making it's just patient strong methodical and it's 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 impressive to watch it really is so you know and look some of the reason he scored is that they stuck to their shooters and those three-point attempts weren't that easy I do think like if Lowry plays if Tucker I mean Tucker's obviously going to play Gabe Vincent Oladipo I would consider helping off them a little stronger. I don't really, I'd like to see them make a couple before you let Jimmy terrorize you. Cause I mean, you're right. It, I was, man, I was in awe of that performance. Cause you're right. It doesn't come that easy to him. He needs to kind of trick the defense, kind of wrong foot them to, to get them in the right spot. And he doesn't have like such a great natural quickness. The strength is really yeah. impressive though. He, 
against Embiid a couple times, like it, it, it was a scenario where Embiid has the guy in jail, where he's he's straight up over top of him, and Jimmy found a way to finish around him, which is just you don't usually see a guy that much smaller doing that to Joel. So, uh, yeah, they got to do a better job against to him. I don't know what they what about they, Tobias. Tobias uh, guarded him about a quarter of the time. He was the Sixers' most used defender on Jimmy. Jimmy scored a total of three points on one shot with Tobias yeah. as a defender. Now, part of that is because Tobias got screened off, switched mm-hmm. probably a little bit easier, needed to fight a little better over some of those screens. But yeah, when Tobias is the only one who really has a chance to impact outside of Joel, and Jimmy scored a lot on Joel last night, um, but Tobias of the Sixers' perimeter defenders, the only one who has a real chance of disrupting that shot, of denying the shot, of making the shot tougher. Certainly, Danny Green is not going to um, at this he's stage not, in his career. Yeah, and even at any stage enough. of his career, he's never been strong enough. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Tobias is the only guy where if Jimmy is having an off night can actually force him into having bad results because of the off night. Danny, if Jimmy's having an off night, doesn't matter. He's just going to get easy shots. So, yeah, I I would stick those two. And I I think the other adjustment, too, even though they got away with it in last night's game, Joel on Bam for pretty much every minute is is important. Now, so so what do you think about that, though? Because the Heat take Bam out earlier Early, yep. in their substitution pattern. And Joel doesn't like doing that. Although they in did game it last six, series, they did it last yeah. series in game six. And that was a big part of the reason. Yeah. And you know, Bam plays a few less minutes. I feel like than Joel yep. on the, uh, on the whole. So look, I, I, I would consider it. Yeah. Paul Reed is playing pretty good basketball right now. Like what he's giving you. And some of the, you know, he is a lot more disciplined than I expected. Not that he's disciplined, but he's more disciplined than I expected given both his reputation, the way he's looked at times, and his lack of experience. He is just not physically capable, or and I think this is one area where his lack of discipline shows up at times, of keeping Bam off the glass. And that's been a huge factor in this series. I definitely agree with you. They've got to match Joel with Bam way more often. Way more often. Whenever a shot goes up for the Heat, and it's Bam and Reed on the floor at the same time. Yeah. It's like you're looking for the Sixers. Like then you're you looking under like the rim. PJ Tucker and George Yang, and it's like, oh man, this is a disaster. You're looking under the rim. You're like, man, the Sixers need a good bounce here yeah. because <laughs> yeah. they need this to hit off the rim hard in the one direction the Heat aren't standing. Because man, Miami has like a a sixty percent chance of grabbing this board. So yeah, that's uh, look, that's important. And, and like limiting the turnovers if you can, like just just. Limit them as much as possible. But look, I I like how the Sixers have played over the last couple of nights. And I mean, that's got to be a pretty confident group right now. You win the two game. They've, in my opinion, they've won the only two games of this series. The first two, I know they count. They're on the scoreboard or whatever, but that's got to be an emotional hit to Miami. Hey, you won the two joke games where they were waving the white flag. You know, you, you said you wanted Embiid. I'm not sure you do. So yeah, it's, uh, Critical game five. I, I do like for the Sixers, honestly. You know, we talked about, oh, with Embiid, doesn't have a lot of rest in between games. Well, when you're rolling, yeah. I, I think one day off, let's 
let's keep it going. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, obviously a crucial game. And I'll just say, like, you know, I think it's probably pretty close to a toss-up. Again, like Miami, they could shoot the ball well. They are at home in the yep. next couple of games. Jimmy's rolling. I think he's he's playing awesome. If the Sixers were able to pull this off in six, it's about as epic as it gets. It's their best series win maybe since the 80s, honestly. Sure. So, I mean, uh, I think the Toronto series win was the best series win of the Joel Embiid era, and this is yeah. way better, way better. All right. Well, look, the, the stakes are are there. It's uh, They have a chance to actually do something that we might talk about for a long time. Yeah. We talk about a lot of things for a long time. Oh, uh, we'll talk about random shit for a long time, but we'll definitely talk about this one for a long time if they pull it out. Yeah, it was just look, and, and I will say too the, the other thing. It's just so much fun to see the Wells Fargo Center yeah. rocking like that. It's just it's awesome. Like, yeah, it is because like you know I think you and I are, are pretty, you know we're pretty good at realizing that we're there. We have a job. We don't look at it like fans anymore. We cover it as professionally as we can. Every now and then you just like sit there, and you witness the event of it all. Not the rooting interest or anything like that, but just seeing the Wells Fargo Center and the passion of the fans and the moment that you're in. Philly fans do. And this is I. I almost don't want to say this because it sounds like pandering. That place is rocking every night. There's a big game, um, and that was certainly true last night. I expect that to be true in Game Six uh, and going forward. If they do make the conference finals, it is a great place to watch basketball games. And it's it's a great regular season crowd. I've been to all the other places in the regular season too. It's a great regular season crowd. The playoffs are just different though. I you know what was the the real play where, like you said, I just looked around and tried to take it all in. When Maxi made that crazy save in game three, yeah. yep. where he's running a million miles an hour and he beats Old Depot to the ball and throws it back to Harden. And then MB gets the the three point play on the other end. Whew, I mean I, that guy might have been awake. He, I don't know if he was there <laughs> for that game, but that was—I yeah, mean, it's just—it's just awesome. And I, I do think—I do think, like, as far as home court advantages, it's not even close. In this, I gotta say, I, we've had our experience of guys in the front row making news. I'm thinking oh, yeah. very specifically, double bird guy with Russell Westbrook. <laughs> guy falling asleep is much more entertaining, much less damaging to Philly's reputation. <laughs> And just human. I have no I, look. I understand alcohol is a funny thing. How wow. the hell? We just got done talking about how crazy that arena was. I understand falling asleep in Miami. You look up there midway through the first quarter and it's half empty. I don't understand how you can possibly fall asleep when it's that loud. I don't get it. I don't get it. He maybe he went to the Phillies game before. I don't know what what was going on, but man, he. His blood alcohol content, I I would it hope had it, it was pretty high. That's the only I, explanation. I, I would hope it, it had a one at least in the, <laughs> in the first digit because if not, that guy is the greatest sleeper of all time, and I don't know what. <laughs> Very is going envious. On. Anyone yeah. who can sleep through that, I'm envious of. For sure. All right, uh, that's about all that I have. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.